Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Putting God Above the Scriptures. The more we get into these sessions, the more it, it the more I realize how true it is, and it really is at the core of the dysfunction that um, that the church is 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 stumbling through. I'll say it that way. Um, so, look, we have this idea that if you're a theologian, that when you st- a theologian studies the Bible, and that's what makes them a theologian because they're studying God. But let me tell you, and this is what we're talking about today, bibliology versus theology. And theology is not the study of the Bible. Theology is the study of God. The Bible is a book that contains the writings of theologians. And bibliology is the study of theologies contained in the Bible. Does that make sense? I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying here. Um, so contained in the scripture here, there are multiple theologies in the Bible. Now, how do we know this? I mean, just look at the different de- denominations that are out there of Christianity. They all derive their theology from the same book. It's not complicated to find out where, where that is, right? They, they can point to every scrap, scripture, you know, chapter and verse. I said scripture. I was going to say scripture. Chapter and verse in the scriptures, they can point to it. This is where they derive their theology. Now, are there studies of God outside the Bible? Well, to answer that, we need to look no further than the biblical record, right? And I'm not going to turn to it right now. We are. We do have some scriptures for later. But right now, I just want to give you kind of an overview and and some conceptual things. So did Abraham have a Bible to consult? Of course, the answer is no, right? Was Abraham a theologian? And we would have to say, yeah, Abraham was one of the original theologians that we find and we read about in Scripture, in Genesis. It's in the very first book of the Bible. So he's one of the original theologians uh, that we have a record of in the Scriptures. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. When Saul's world was, Saul of Tarsus, when his world was turned upside down, everything he thought he knew he had to revisit. And when, uh, when something you believe in so much to the point where you're putting people to death, you know, righteously, is so powerfully proven to be proven to be wrong. It puts everything you thought you knew into question. What what do I mean by that? Okay, when you're committed to righteousness to the point where you do unspeakable things to another human, and then you find out that all of those things that you did were not righteous, but just the opposite, you consider everything you knew to be, and I'm going to use the kind word, you consider it to be dung. That's what Paul did. And you don't replace one us for a different us. You know, you don't think, okay, we have Israel, but it's not really Israel. Okay, now it's just, it's those who believe. We're not replacing one us for another us. You rethink the concept of us altogether. You don't explore this kind of theology from what is written. Um, revisiting the concept of us. You don't find that in what's written. That's not in the book. 
I mean, it actually is in the book, but we don't, it's not been pointed. So I think, what was it? Uh, episode 002, I think us versus them, right? We, we did go over that. It is found in the book, but in a theological sense, we don't teach it that way. Everything is still painted in a, in a, in a us, them. And we talked about this last week too, where the, the, the religion of, of uh, Judaism and the Israelites is the preservation of the nation of Israel. The preservation and advancement and the blessing of the nation of Israel by God as long as they're following the rules of God. And, you know, and everything that was written, when you're Paul, right, everything that was written down has put you in the position of believing you were righteous when really you weren't. So now you have to become an actual theologian for yourself. So, okay, Paul, Saul thought he was a, a theologian, considered himself to be one. But then when everything got messed up, he's like, okay, now I have to let that go and align with, uh, I have to think about God apart from the book, apart from what is written. So yes, you can look at the record of previous theologians in the book, the way Paul did, right? He had to go back and look at the record, but only in the way that it matches your theological experience. Again, let's look at Paul. I mean, I guarantee that Saul's theology changed on the road to Damascus. He had to disregard what was written in order to hear what was being said to him. And here's what I'm saying. When we elevate the Bible and call it the Word of God, we're then able to claim that studying the Bible is theology. Let me say it another way. We're only able to claim that studying the Bible is theology when we elevate the Bible and call it God's Word. Now, I can't call myself a theologian simply because I study the Bible unless I believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God. But this means that the Bible is my God. And when the Bible is my God, God has been displaced in my life. And this is the fundamental error. The Bible is a record of theologians. And if you look at the scripture as a record of theologians, it's very easy to see when their understanding of God is Christ askew. <coughs> Pardon me, where's my water? It's also very easy to see the places where it's easy to see the places where theologians from the biblical era were able to capture the essence of God's view of humanity. And we call that the Omega view. And we went over one such scripture last week, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And I know this from like this verse I have memorized from the Salty tape. Now, Salty, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, Salty. Other people, you're thinking, what, too much salt on your food? No, no, no. Salty was, um, he was a character. They did the Kids Praise album. And, and, and Salty was, I mean, he was kind of like a Barney type figure. Uh, he wasn't purple. He was a big, giant blue book. And he was a book of psalms or songs. And what's so funny is I took some time to listen this week after thinking about that song. And I mean, I looked it up on Spotify and I listened to the entire album. It was a, a great tape. I listened to it all the time. It had beautiful songs. and But this is what was ingrained in me with children's songs, right? Let me just kind of go down the list. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. Jesus saves us. Jesus is in heaven. And I should want to go there and be with him. 
But these, and those are great things, right? Here's some of the other things that I learned from the, and it was ingrained in me. Not just I learned, but it's ingrained in me. Praise is from the heart. Lip service is not enough. It's a condition, right? We're all God's children. But see, here's the thing. We equals Christians with Jesus in our heart. There's a, the we is not a us, it's not everybody, it's an us-them concept. And we're taught the us-them concept from the very time when we're kids. And we are not just children either. We are soldiers just the same. And I'm, you know, I'm eight or nine years old. I mean, I guess I must be in some kind of a battle. What kind of a battle is an eight or nine-year-old supposed to be in? That doesn't make any sense. So we're in some kind of a conflict that uh, we don't know, but I'm a soldier. And if I don't uh, sing from my heart, then listen, I'm not praising. You know, if I don't love, I don't know God, right? Because he's, he that loveth not knoweth not God. We're going to talk about that. It's a conditional if. I was conditioned with the conditions. I'm God's child if I love with agape. I only praise if it's from my heart. God will respond if I truly praise. I can go to heaven if Jesus is in my heart. And look, this is the same way Saul was conditioned with conditions until he had to be unconditioned by a supernatural encounter with Jesus. And, you know, right here, I want to pause for a second because there's an important concept I want to go over. Listen, the church was terrified of this man, Saul. They they were terrified of him. Think about, um, there's a lot of, of, of Christian persecution going on in the world today. And I'm not going to single any single, uh, any particular one out. All you got to do is do a little Google search and say Christian persecution today and hit go. And you'll find all kinds of information. And uh, this has been going on for a long time. And we consider those people uh, to be anti-God, against God, opposed to God. And the people that live in those regions are just petrified that someone's going to come break down the door, confiscate all their things, throw them in jail, or worse, separate the family. You know, uh, it's just, but this, this was Saul. And he was so opposed to Jesus that it bordered on hatred. And if a man this opposed to God can be persuaded by one supernatural encounter, then is it fair to think that any other person would have a different reaction? Any person who encounters God would have the same reaction. What is the implication? Well, this means that the idea of eternal punishment is not a result of God. I mean, it's a, it's a result of God not revealing himself to somebody, right? So if God revealed himself to this one person and this person got saved, then if God doesn't reveal himself to somebody else, it's not really their fault, right? Now, clearly Saul had heard the claim that Jesus was the Messiah, right? They attempted to evangelize him. It didn't work out without a supernatural encounter. So just hearing, Paul said it this way, right? Um, how can they know unless they're, 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 they hear? And how can they go, how can they hear unless somebody preaches, right? So 
Um, this is our concept. But listen, it's not like Paul had never heard. Saul knew what was the deal. He knew about Jesus. He knew Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. He knew these people that were following him were, were perpetuating this, in his mind, this uh, heretical uh, idea. This is why he went and got the official papers to go do all the stuff that he was doing. I mean, he wasn't just randomly uh, like, uh, you know, this rogue, uh, you know, mafia style thing. This was sanctioned by the, the, the Israeli government. He had papers. He was authorized to go do this stuff. And if you oppose him, it's going to get worse. But if God saw fit to allow one person such an encounter, then the responsibility of belief falls to the one who is capable of making us believe, namely God. It is unjust for God to punish eternally anyone unless God provides the same opportunity as was given to Saul. And this is, this is one way that we know that eternal punishment just can't be on the table. Now, a theologian can look at the evidence found in the accounts of other theologians and compare it to the example of God in the earth and combine it with personal experience and then come to the reasonable conclusion that God's not mad. And God never was mad. Grieved? Yes. Mad to the point of condemning someone to eternity in a lake of fire? <laughs> no. Now, a bibliogen who equates the Bible with the infallible word of God cannot escape the idea that God is reserving for himself a remnant. And of course, each slice of Christianity believes that they're the lucky slice. You know, and everybody else is deep fried butter, <laughs> right? Uh, Oprah would say it that way. Uh, everybody else is crispy critters, right? As if the victory of Christ is like 1% or less. Right? God hung the stars, but he just couldn't figure out how to, oh man, how do I solve the works of the devil? I can't do it. Oh, well, I mean, at least I have a remnant. <laughs> There's no battle with God. We have this huge idea that God is omniscient and omnipotent, but, you know, as soon as we bring an enemy into the equation, God is struggling to be victorious. What? what that doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, you know, Justin, you know, God gives us free will. Time out, time out, time out. When Saul comes face to face with supernatural Jesus, there's no choice. There's no choice. I think of it like this. A sunflower responds to the sun. So the sun, the sun starts over here and the sunflower is over here. And as the sun moves, the sunflower moves with the sun. And then at nighttime, the sun sets. And as the sun is setting, right, the sunflower is also setting. And then the sunflower kind of moves over here and waits for the next morning for the sun to rise. And when the sun arises, the, sun, the sunflower responds to the sun. And I'm telling you that the created, you and I, responds to the creator. There's no, there's no, it, it, when God reveals God's self to a created being, the created must respond. And the created are created the way that they're created, right? The condition of the created is not the decision of the created, you give God all the power and then make the created equal to God in their opposition to God. 
You make the words of theologians equal to God. No, no, I mean, not even equal to God, surpassing and supplanting God. And Jesus came to set the record straight. Now, I have no interest in calling down fire, Jesus said. I forgive sins before I'm even asked. I don't condemn the one caught in the act. I restore the ear of the one who came to arrest me. When my guy cut it off, right? I turn the cheek. I turn the other cheek when I'm beaten and crucified. I forgive. And after I ascend and people, uh, 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 people persecute my followers, I show up. I don't even condemn the one that's persecuting. I forgive and I restore. This is God. God is not angry. The record of theologians shows that they thought God was angry. And they attributed bad things, uh, you know, as an act of God's punishment or dis disapproval. But Jesus showed us the opposite. Now, bibliology, the study of what is written, is admirable when it's not confused with theology, the study of God. Now, we're going to get to some scriptures here in a minute, but I'm, I'm trying to set some things up here. And a lot of this is uh, obviously, um, we've been going over this for weeks but I really want to get this, this difference between bibliology and theology um, just really clear so that you, got, you can understand what we're doing. Because when we confuse the two, we condition our children with the conditional ifs. And we condemn our generations to lives of bondage and us-them qualifying restrictions. Right? Am I in or am I out? Well, I know they're out. And I don't want to be a them. I got to make sure that, you know, I'm doing all the right things to remain pure so God doesn't disown me. There is a deeply embedded fear that is at the core of our dogma. The fear that God's going to punish us for not doing the right thing. But we, we read that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. But, you know, then we also read that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And here's what we're going to do. I did a little bit of study. I did a study. I did a quick search on my Bible app. And you can do the same thing. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I just I just picked out a, a few of the scriptures from my search. I did a search. And you can do this in your Bible app or on uh, you know Google or whatever. Uh, I just did it in my Bible app. And the search that I did was uh, I searched for fear God. Okay. And so I have, let me grab my glasses. Where did I put them? They're right here. Okay. Got my glasses. And I'm going to go, I have my notes here, and we're going to look at some of these scriptures. Now, I'm going to start in Proverbs. This is the one that we referenced just now. Proverbs, the very first chapter, and the seventh verse. And what's interesting about this is I have, uh, my dad has this one circled in red, like a little red circle around the number seven. So this is, and highlighted actually with the yellow highlighter. So uh, this is what, man, it's important that I, now let me just see if I could show you this. Now I put the brackets around. Now I'm going to look up here, see if you can see. Okay. Can you see that? For those of you listening, I apologize because I know you can't see it, but I want, I'll describe it to you. So the seven is circled with red and then it's highlighted. And let me read it to you. It's highlighted with a yellow highlighter pen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wow. Just 
let that sink in. Now, the fact, the reason I wanted to show you, it's circled and highlighted. And you can see the other scriptures in here. Now, I put a bracket around it, but the other scriptures in here, they're not circled or highlighted. This is a, a core of our belief system. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay? Now, I'm just going to go back one page. And, um, yeah, where'd it go? It's one, it's, oh, two pages. Okay. No, it's one page. Okay. So I, now, now check this one out. Okay. I'm trying to describe, to, I want to paint a picture that we have this idea that fearing God is a thing. Okay. We have to fear God. So Psalm 147 and, and, and verse 11. <laughs> this one, man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, think about the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the Lord takes pleasure in those that fear him. That is incredible. And okay, well, someone's saying, okay, well, Justin, that's the Old Testament. And you know, this is, this is really referring to wisdom and, you know, respect. Um, and it's just an Old Testament concept and, and you're confusing it. It doesn't really mean fear. Okay, it says fear. The fear of the Lord, uh, you know, is the beginning of, and the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Okay. So, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a, a different word for wisdom or respect. Uh, and it's just an Old Testament con concept. So let's just go ahead and turn to first Peter and we're going to verse 17 in first Peter chapter two. If you got your Bibles and you're free to read, um, and I'm just going to go, uh, and this is Peter, right? He wrote the letter, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Wow. Okay. First of all, I thought we were supposed to love everybody, but he says love uh, the brotherhood, honor all people, but love the brotherhood, and then fear God. Okay. So it's not just a new uh, I mean, it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's not. In fact, uh, how do we know that Peter really believes this? I, I just want to turn real quickly to Acts chapter 5. And we went over this once before too. This one's talking about Ananias and Sapphira. So, Anna, uh, so Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Uh, and I'll just read it real quick because I'm not trying to harp on, on the whole thing. But there's a couple things that I want to point out. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it uh, at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, and we're talking about the same Peter, the guy that wrote Fear God. So this is how we know is what he means by fear. Okay. Uh, verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep that part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And here's our, our key verse. And there's two of them uh, in this particular chapter. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Great fear. What kind of fear are we talking about? If you don't do the right thing, you're going to die. We're talking about fear, fear. 
Okay, and so uh, we, I'm going to summarize verse 6, 7, 8, 9. Uh, Sapphira um, comes in. I could have just read it and taken less time. Sapphira comes in, and Peter's grilling her the same way. And so verse chapter uh, chapter 9, uh, no, no, chapter 5, verse 9, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord with your husband? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. And then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead, carrying and carrying her out, buried her next to her husband. And here's our key verse again. So great fear. Yeah, same thing. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. We're talking about solidifying power here. We're talking about, you better listen to the edicts that I say, because Look, Saul was persecuting you for for doing the wrong thing, but God is going to kill you if you if you don't walk the line, if you don't toe the line. And this, I kind of alluded to this the last time I referenced it. This sounds more like the Sanhedrin than Christ. Jesus didn't go around saying, "Hey, look, if you lie to me, I'm going to kill you." That's not what he said. Jesus forgave people all the time. And it just doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't align with Christ. And so at some point, then see, the, the way that the, the, the account says, then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Now, we don't, did he have a heart attack? Uh, we think it's some kind of a supernatural thing that God struck them dead. Like when... Um, People who were not the priest in the Old Testament, when they touched the Ark of the Covenant, they weren't supposed to touch it. And anybody who wasn't clean and a priest and all this stuff, if you touch the Ark, you're going to die. Let alone the fact that the Ark was stolen by the Philistines or whoever it was. I mean, it wasn't even in their possession. They had to go back and get it. How did all those people physically get it away from them if anybody that touched it died? I don't know. But they made it sound like um, if you touch the ark, you're going to die. And this is what's going on here. This is the New Testament version of touching the ark. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. You're going to drop dead right now. Now, how many of you guys know when you went up to the altar call and said, I'm never going to do it again, never going to do it again, God, never going to do it again. That's a lie, man. You know you were going to do You were planning how to do it that night, but you're at the altar trying to repent, trying to do this stuff. You didn't drop dead. You didn't drop dead. So it makes you wonder, okay, what really happened? They didn't drop dead from God. How did they die? Sounds to me like, uh, you know, it's one of those Godfather situations where you got you got uh, Clemenza in the back seat. You don't want to sit in the front. He's like, hey, uh, move over. You make me nervous. I can't see through the window. You don't want somebody sitting behind you it, it, when when you're going for a ride with with Clemenza, right? He's gonna he's gonna choke you, and you're gonna be done. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, how, do, how can I say that? Well, okay, verse 12. And, <laughs> and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Oh, there it is. It was through the hands of the apostles. They told you right there. This wasn't, this wasn't a supernatural thing. This is done through the hands of the apostles. That's verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, right after verse 11, where it says, Great fear came upon all the church uh, and, uh, and all, all who heard these things. Isn't that so interesting? So fear, now now the church is ruling through fear. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like Jesus? It sounds like the God of the Old Testament. It does. 
Does it sound like Jesus? Does that sound like it's Christ aligned? I don't think so. Now let's look at, I did another search. Okay. I did the search on fear God. And then I went in my Bible app and I did another search. And because we all know this other one, uh, fear not. And the most uh, popular or well-known, uh, fear not for I, for I bring good tidings of great joy, great joy, which will be to all people. This is the angels, right? Uh, talking to the shepherds when Jesus was born. And in Luke chapter one, uh, I'm not going to go there, but in two different uh Two different sections when, you know, John the Baptist's dad, right? The angel came to him and the, and the angel said, hey, look, uh, don't be afraid. And then again with the Virgin Mary, the angel came and said, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. But listen, don't be afraid. And <laughs> so, and then if we go to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12. Um, now let's, now let's hear from some red letters from actual Christ, right? From Jesus, as long, I mean, that's what. That's what the scripture says that he said. So um, in, in, in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to go in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. Okay. Do not fear. Do not fear. That sounds more like it. And um, now let's go to 2 Timothy. We talked about this one earlier. 2 Timothy. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And it says this, we talked about this earlier. This is when we started off with, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, hmm. but of power and love and a sound mind. So we're not given a spirit of fear. And I got one more, and this is the one, actually, this is the one that kicked it off, right? Is First uh, John 4, 7, and 8 is the song. And I'm just going to read it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And what's interesting about this, um, verse 8 is one of those uh, qualifier type scriptures. Just If you take 1 John 4, 7, everyone, uh, love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What a statement. And then the next one, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's one of those, uh, everybody loves at some point in their life. Everybody knows how. Even people who are filled with hate know how to love things or people or, you know, their people. They love their people. Isn't that interesting? And those are my scripture references for today. But we say that these scriptures are not conflicting. That uh, how is it not conflict when God takes pleasure in those that fear him? And Peter's like, hey, look, you got to fear God. And he's and he's like, Ananias and Sapphira, they dropped dead because they lied to God. You better fear God. But over here we got, we got uh, you know, Jesus said, hey, look, don't fear. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have the angels coming down and talking to people. Hey, fear not. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And then we have uh, 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 in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul, or, or somebody claiming to be Paul writing this, says, look, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. How are these things not conflicting? Isn't that a neat trick? Look, our, dog, our dogma says they don't conflict because we know God isn't schizo. 
So we jump through all kinds of theological hoops to figure out how God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but we better fear God. I mean, it's no wonder we have thousands of denominations and there's great confusion in the people. The fundamental error is saying that a record of theologians is equal to the infallible word of God. That's our fundamental error. And I know some of you think that I'm, I'm bashing God because I'm bashing the Bible. First of all, I'm not bashing God. And second, I'm not even bashing the Bible. I'm looking at the scripture in its proper context. The way Paul put the written word in its proper context. The way the early church dismissed what was written about circumcision. There is much to gain from reading the scripture with a proper perspective. We are reading the thoughts of previous theologians, not the thoughts of God. And at times, the theologians had a great understanding of God. And at times, they missed the mark. Their perspective was clouded. They saw through the, gla the, through the glass dimly, right? That's what Paul said. We see through the glass dimly. And we mess up when we say, that they saw through the glass clearly, right? Our clarity is their dim vision. That doesn't make sense. And it's no wonder that we've been messed up. So what is the point of this session today? Justin, you've been talking about a lot about bibliology versus theology, and, and, and uh, you sound like you're bashing the Bible. Listen, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to start this series from the beginning, and I want you to hear what's being said with this clear distinction. See the example of God in the earth with the eyes that don't look to set up an earthly kingdom. See the errors in my religious upbringing and how it affected my life. And I want you to look at John 10.10 10 as you're going through the series. And learn to categorize the Old Testament and the New Testament writings appropriately. Anything found in, in this book that aligns with steal, kill, destroy, that's not aligned with God. And anything aligns that anything that aligns with life more abundantly is aligned with God. Romans 828 part A <laughs> is is our plan B, right? Which plan B seems to always be in effect in, in my life. God works all things together for good because God is good and made us in God's image and likeness. So as you go through your week, I want you to look at the people you come in contact with and recognize their imago Dei. See the original goodness in others the way God sees the original goodness in you. Thank you so much for watching. And do us a favor. Share this with some, somebody that you know needs to hear this. Somebody that you know needs to hear this series. There's more to come. There's a lot more to go over. But I want you to take the time to go back and, and, and start from the beginning. I know a lot of you have... have if you listen to this whole thing, there's a lot of you that didn't listen to all of them. And I'm telling you, this has changed my life. My life is not the same. 
I no longer live in fear. I'm able to love unconditionally. You got to hear what I'm saying. Before, when this was my everything, I couldn't love unconditionally. I had all the qualifiers. I had all the conditions. They were all there. And I had to abide by them because this, the, the scripture, is the infallible word of God. And I elevated this above the living word, above God. So again, I want you to see the original goodness as we're closing today. See the original goodness in others, the way God sees the original goodness in you. We'll see you next time. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabud at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.